statistically, our modern population has a really, really, really high number of foot problems. Like you're talking 30%, 40% of people have some sort of serious foot issue as they age. It's the exact same with pelvic floor issues. More women than men, but men have pelvic floor issues as well. You know, one in three people are gonna have an issue in this area. And what's really interesting is that both our feet and our pelvic floors are they're ground zero areas for movement related issues. So our pelvic floor sort of physically is the group of muscles that become the bottom of our torso and container. They're what keeps stuff inside us and they're part of how we stabilize our bodies as we move. So if you think of your core, you have kind of a canister. You can definitely think of it as like a Coca-Cola can and your core canister needs to have sides and a top and a bottom and you breathe on the top and you pee on the bottom and you gotta keep a lot of stuff inside you but you gotta let stuff out as well and it has to hold you together. So it does a lot like your feet, it's an area that you don't tend to talk about or think about in terms of performance or in terms of health until something goes wrong. So when it comes to our feet and our footwear, if our feet aren't going well, our pelvic floors are unlikely to go well as well. So you see this very close connection between the two. It seems like a lot when you first start thinking, you know, movement, my whole body, I've got to work on everything. But when you work on anything, it starts affecting everything else. So if you work on mm -hmm. your feet, you're going to start doing good things for your pelvic floor. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast from the Foot Collective. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so we can all explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. All right, Petra, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to see you, Jim. Yeah, it's um, now it's not your first appearance. Obviously, we actually had a conversation. Uh, it was it was actually about two years ago now, which is pretty crazy. Uh, but that was all about your story and your journey with movement, and of course our shared interest in feet and footwear and having fun. Um, and I'm really sad to report, I actually went back to listen to that episode, uh, sort of to prepare for this episode a little bit. Um, and I couldn't find it and I'm looking through all of our episodes and it doesn't show up at all on Apple podcasts. And then I get to Spotify and it's like, oh no, it doesn't show up on Spotify on Apple. It just doesn't work. It's, it's listed. It doesn't work. And, uh, we basically what's happened, what seems to have happened is we changed our hosting platform and your episode is the single episode that didn't make the transition somehow. And no one, none of the team can find it anywhere. So I'm like pretty bummed about that um, because that was like a really great, great app. We got into a lot of stuff about, you know, re just really good stuff. Um, but I figure for those who don't know, I was going to refer people back to that episode. I still have a small hope of finding it. But for those who don't know you, don't know your story, um, if you can just give like a bit of backstory about who you are, what you do, why you do it, that kind of thing. And we'll, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. That's a sad news. I have to recover for a second. <laughs> um, I don't so, know. I just hit you with that. Oh yeah. Like out of nowhere. <laughs> so I think um, what's, what's most relevant for me, I think is just that um, I had a corporate background. I was never into feet. My, my interest in feet sort of began and ended with really tall platform stilettos because I was a lawyer, uh, but I also wanted to be outside and get active. And I quickly started running into all kinds of chronic pain and injuries and the classic plantar fasciitis and hip pain and neck pain and everything was happening to me. 
And at the same time, I wasn't very happy in my job. So I started looking into things a little more deeply and I discovered Katie Bowman, who I know uh, you uh, are a huge fan of as well. And my life changed forever. I realized that not only was I making a lot of poor movement choices with my own footwear, but that our bigger culture of how we move is not serving us very well. So as soon as I discovered that, I went on my own deep healing journey with movement and changing how I move and how I approach things. But I also became a movement teacher and fast forward about, I guess, 10 years now. And that brings us to today. So that's the very condensed version. Yeah, very condensed. And uh, hopefully I do find we do somehow find the episode because it, it was a it was quite a fascinating story you've got. Um, but yeah, for, for today and like obviously that two years has really flown and we've obviously kept in touch um, over Instagram and I've, I've been following along on your emails as well and more recently saw you talking a lot about the pelvic floor and I realized we've never done a podcast on here about the pelvic floor uh, and I know it's an important topic for a lot of people and there's a lot of connections with the feet and other parts of the body. Um, so I figured it would be a really just good opportunity to get you on and to help us and the community understand all the ins and outs of pelvic floor, uh, which I know is a deep and multifaceted topic. Um, so we've got plenty to dive into, but it might be good just to start with like the very high level, what actually is the pelvic floor? Why should people care about it? And why make a whole course about it that, that you have done, which is pelvic floor plus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really good question. I think that if you step back, it actually gets really interesting because you're looking at statistically our modern population has a really, really, really high number of foot problems. Like you're talking 30%, 40% of people have some sort of serious foot issue as they age. It's the exact same with pelvic floor issues. The, the number of more women than men, but men have pelvic floor issues as well. And it's just almost, you know, one in three people are going to have an issue in this area. And what's really interesting is that both our feet and our pelvic floors are their ground zero areas for movement related issues. So our pelvic floor sort of physically is the group of muscles that become the bottom of our torso and container. They're what keeps stuff inside us and they're part of how we stabilize our bodies as we move. So if you think of your core, you have kind of a canister. You could definitely think of it as like a Coca-Cola can and your core canister needs to have sides and a top and a bottom and you breathe on the top and you pee on the bottom and you got to keep a lot of stuff inside you, but you got to let stuff out as well and it has to hold you together. So it does a lot. It does a lot. And like your Feet, it's an area that you don't tend to talk about or think about in terms of performance or in terms of health until something goes wrong. So what, what we see with the pelvic floor is it's a, a set of muscles that's influenced a lot by what's happening in our upper bodies. So the way we breathe, the way we use our core, it's also influenced a lot by the way we lose, use our lower bodies. So specifically things like walking and squatting and hip mobility have a big impact on those muscles because you know our hip muscles and our pelvic floor muscles are, are some of the same muscles uh, as well as some other ones. So when it comes to our feet and our footwear, if our feet aren't going well, our pelvic floors are unlikely to go well as well. So you see this very close connection between the two. And it's one of the nice things about what you and I teach is that it seems like a lot when you first start thinking, you know, movement, my whole body, I've got to work on everything. But when you work on anything, it starts affecting everything else. So if you work on mm. your feet, you're going to start doing good things for your pelvic floor just 
by the virtue of working on your feet. So I've always felt like those two things are, are closely related and you'll see foot issues and pelvic floor issues run hand in hand. So I even teach pronation and supination mechanics in my pelvic floor course because they're so closely hmm. related. So. Yeah. And so for those listening who, you know, it, it, I think it intuitively makes sense to people of like the body is connected, this area, you know, the, the hip bones connected to the thigh bone, that kind of whole concept. Um, but what's like a, what's like a, a, an easy example for people or like a, um, something that people could visualize as to how the feet actually connect to the pelvic floor or, or what's an example of that? Or one way are... the feet affects the pelvic floor or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. The, the two biggest ones, the ones that really stand out for me are the, the way we stand and the way we walk. <laughs> it's just to, you know, really yep. narrow things okay. down. But, you know, not to be facetious, many, many of us have adapted to standing in shoes with heels. And we do that adaptation. And it goes along with chairs too, but we push mm. our pelvises forward as we stand. And I actually just posted about that on my Instagram. You can see quite visually, and if you look around the world, you'll see a lot of people just pushing their pelvis forward when they stand. And that does two things. Well, it does many things, but two things that are obvious is one is it puts a lot of load on the forefoot that the forefoot isn't necessarily adapted to, um, to, to cope with well. And it also shortens and tightens our pelvic floor muscles and our low back muscles. So this adaptation to footwear and chairs is part of what's damaging our feet and it's part of what's damaging our pelvic floors. So that's one connection. You know, you, you learn to get your hips back over your heels, suddenly your feet are likely to heal. And that was my experience with plantar fasciitis. I was a big forward stander, so I'm a big believer mm. in the power of getting your hips back over your heels. Um, it was actually, I triggered plantar fasciitis by moving to a standing desk, which I thought was gonna be a really healthy thing for me. And suddenly I was in pain and I was like, what's going on? And it wasn't until I realized that it was because I was pushing my whole body all the forward all the time that I was actually crushing my feet. So, you know, that mm. sometimes those big picture changes are the small picture fixes that we're looking for. You know what I mean? So that one's huge. Yeah. That one's huge. And yeah, mechanically, ways, yeah. that hips forward seems to tend to resolve itself as a pattern once we work on hip extension, our ability to get our legs behind us when we walk, and when we work on hamstring length and strength, which are both things that we lose by being in conventional footwear and by sitting in, in chairs all the time. So again, those are really powerful foot fixers, but they're also powerful pelvic floor lengtheners and strengtheners. So there's just this sure. like super intimate connection between our better mechanics and and our feet and our pelvic floor specifically working better together. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one visualization I like with that in relation to, you know, the heel is the Jenga block thing. I'm not sure if I got that from Katie Bowman or someone else, but it's like, you know, if you, if you change the bottom of a Jenga block, then you have to like change everything else to keep alignment basically so mm -hmm. it's interesting that one simple change of say standing on a ramp or being in a heeled shoe all of the rest of your body has to change even if it's just slightly change to maintain um, an upright position otherwise you'd just be leaning forward on the ramp or on the heel um, so it's i think that's a good visualization for people to think like ah. Oh, my the position of my feet and my ankles will affect everything else up the chain and and i really love that you know addressing the feet will help the pelvic floor and then addressing um which is what we talk a lot about is the sort of trunk and hip everything going on up there will affect what happens at the feet um yeah. so yeah you can work on them in tandem and 
I think you mentioned breathing or um, and rib cage position, or maybe I've just heard that from you before. So how does how does that how does the breathing tie in with the pelvic floor? We'll start with the breathing. Sure, sure. Although I do want to return to the foot and the pelvic floor because I, I think we have a pronation okay. and supination conversation to have as well. Okay, no, let's um, let's 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 put a let's go in the we'll we'll go into the feet. We'll finish there, um, <laughs> and then we'll go into breathing. All right. <laughs> Keep it. Are you sure? Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Good, because I really like talking about feet. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the other mechanics of our feet, like when you get right into our mechanics of our feet, I think what's not yet being fully talked about when we're talking about foot restoration is, is midfoot mobility and the ability of our feet mm -hmm. to twist and untwist and when we walk. You know, there's lifting our toes, which is really good, and there's widening and spreading our toes, which is important for restoring our arch. But our arch isn't a static Thing. Our arch is something that should soften to absorb shock and it's something that should pick up to create a rigid lever and that's a process that happens in the multiple joints and bones of the foot every time we take a step or at least it should. But of course, just like many other movement patterns, many of us are stuck and many of us are stuck in pronation. So our flat-footed people, that would be me. And we've got lots of overly supinated rigid people as well and that would be, you know, my boyfriend, um, interestingly enough. So when you get stuck in one of those things, you, you lose access to the other part of it, which is a problem for your foot because any part of your body that doesn't move through all of its possible movements tends to be less healthy. Like you're not feeding the cells and the joints and the tissues of the foot when it's stuck. But where it becomes a pelvic floor issue is because pronation is a multi-planar movement, including rotation in particular, you know, your foot should rotate, your knee should rotate, your hip should rotate, and those rotations travel all the way into your literal pelvic floor. Your hip rotation muscles are also pelvic floor muscles. So when you lose pronation and supination, not only do you lose a whole lot of good stuff happening in your feet, uh, but you also lose your pelvic floor muscles doing mm. their thing, and so you start to see issues with that. So you, you really, pronation and supination, as a, a movement pattern to restore, I just think is fantastically important because it affects so many things. And it's even stuff like, you know, I'm, I'm doing a squatting challenge right now on my Facebook page, and there are people who really persistently have a hard time getting enough ankle dorsiflexion to get into a, into a squat. And sometimes that's because, you know, of, of what's happening in the calf, but sometimes it's because they can't pronate. And if you can't pronate, you can't dorsiflex properly. And if you can't dorsiflex, you can't squat, and suddenly you're losing out again on pelvic floor lengthening potential. So, you know, the feet are just integral to the whole lower body function, as I know you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is it is amazing and i know what do you mean when it's like it can feel a bit overwhelming to people of like wow all of these connections but it does help to simplify of like if you just start with the way you stand or like what you put on your feet and then think about how you stand and it's it seems like there's a, a bit of a system that you can follow and it all makes sense i think it's important for people to to really resonate with like ah okay i get I get why I have to work on my feet to help my pelvic floor. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. it's like, what do you mean? Why am I twisting my foot <laughs> in order to help my pelvic floor? Yeah. Totally. Um, totally. But 100%. so is there anything else about feet that can be explored with the pelvic floor? Because obviously our audience and our community are into that. So I think the the final piece that I think is well, I mean, like, yeah, I could talk about this all day long, and I probably yeah. will someday. But um, I would say there's there's two other 
big things to kind of consider. So number one is, is it may be a follow-on from the pronation, supination conversation. You know, one of the things that happens to so many of us is we get our big toes uh, stuck into a bunion-y shape because of the shoes we've been wearing. That hallux vulgus, um, the, the squished in big toe, that affects the connections of the foot muscles that run through to our arch. So you're going to see a lot of flat footedness and a lot of you know, rotational patterning when you, and, and so over, like sort of stuck in rotation, stuck in this internal rotation, people really pressing down with their inner feet. So that's one of the reasons you're seeing plantar fasciitis go along with pelvic floor issues is people get this sort of unfunctional arch and they get stuck in it and so plantar fasciitis where everything starts to, to you know really put a lot of load on the the t too much load on the tissues of the connective tissues of the the foot can also happen because that big toe has been squashed in too much as well and so you get this this mm -hmm. big toe out happening your arches don't work well bunions are happening plantar fasciitis is happening, you're not getting pronation and supination and the pelvic floor is being pulled into that too. So that's another kind of a, a red flag or a, a connection to consider. You need push off to come straight from your toe for really optimal mechanics. Your rotations happen when your legs go straight. That's one thing that I think is not maybe very clear because mechanically speaking, if your toe is pushing straight behind you, your leg is actually having all kinds of rotation because of the way your pelvis is moving above your leg. So even though it doesn't necessarily look like you're twisting around and rotating when you're pushing off like that, you need your big toe to go straight in order to get the rotations that you want happening through the rest of the chain. Because um, movement is weird like that, right? It's called closed chain movement instead of open chain movement. And when your yeah. foot is on the ground, that's called closed chain, and your foot twists relative to the stuckness of your foot on the ground, not rotates outwards completely. So that's important to note yeah. too. Yeah. And I guess the final thing that's like just a just a huge deal. So not only do we have this hips forward standing that seems to happen at least in part because we get very tense through the hip flexors, but most of us are very limited in hip extension. So hip extension is where our leg goes behind us when we walk. And most of us are missing out on some butt and glutes as well. There's an interesting debate, I guess you could call it. I don't know if it's actually a debate, but when we, we heal, when we, when we step forward, when we, when we strike with our heel, when we walk, that seems to be the moment of the most butt muscle activation in the walking um, stride. So James Earls has, has got studies saying that. But those are studies that are showing up on treadmills, when people walk on treadmills. And so that's hip extension because the foot strikes and then the, the hamstrings and glutes are pulling the hip back behind you to create the propulsion of walking. So, you know, your, your walking propulsion can come from your front foot kind of pulling behind you, if you will. But that leg needs to go behind you as well. And very few people's legs actually go behind them. So we don't really know what happens in a truly great walk where you have true hip extension because there's a whole opportunity for the glutes to turn on behind your pelvis as well that many of us are missing. So having hip extension capacity is important for your pelvic floor because your glutes have a relationship to the lengthening mm -hmm. movements of your pelvic floor as you walk. And so we've got this thing again, where if you don't have hip extension, you probably don't have very good gait and you don't have optimal things happening in your feet and you don't have optimal things happening in your foot. So it's a ball of wax. It doesn't even matter if it's a ball of wax. Cause like you said, the really good thing is you could start working on any of it and it all starts to come together better. You'll, you'll, yeah. you'll get good results no matter where your entry point is. Mm. It's interesting too, with the hip extension and then to bring it back to the foot, 
um, limited big toe extension, which a lot of people have, I think will limit the amount of hip extension they will get in their gait and vice versa. Um, so another, another example of the connection there, because if, if people are thinking about it, as you step forward and one leg goes behind you, your big toe has to extend uh, in order to get that sort of mobility behind you. So that's a coupling of big toe extension and hip extension. So if one of those are limited, it'll affect the other and vice versa. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's maybe starts to sound a bit complicated, but from what I can tell, it's working on very basic things first, just like your alignment when you stand, um, your movement when you walk, the function or like this sort of, you can get a bit isolated with the um, mobility and the control within your feet of those, of the midfoot, of the big toe, um, of the ankle and so on. Uh, and then it'll start to come together. And I think that's, that's the beautiful thing about the body is you don't really need to understand all of the deep complexities in order to make something happen um, because it is a self-organizing, self-healing system at its core. And when you remove, often when you remove the inputs that are disrupting its function and you add some, you know, some good or natural inputs, it will naturally start to self-organize. You don't have to sort of overthink too much about, you know, am I doing this perfectly or whatever? It's like the body can sort of take over once you give it the right inputs. And I, I think another part of the conversation, which is interesting, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, um, because obviously there's a, there's not a clear relationship between posture and pain. And that's, that's, uh, I guess traditionally it's been like, oh, you've got bad posture, therefore you have pain. Um, and a lot of the research lately and, you know, pain science research is pointing towards, well, there's no, not necessarily a good or bad posture or a good or bad movement. It's, um, it's really more about, you know, what postures you hold for too long. Um, and, you know, posture isn't related to pain. And some people might, ha might hold lots of posture, like a certain posture for a long time and they still don't have pain. So pain is very multifactorial, but what we can measure is function. I think that's um, where the biomechanics really come into play. And it's interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but people, people don't usually experience, or maybe that's not the most common symptom of pelvic floor dysfunction is pain. It's probably more some kind of functional issue. Um, so maybe we should talk. Maybe a better, a better yeah. thing to go through is like, how do you know if you've got a pelvic floor issue? Yeah. Um, and yeah, what are the, what are the, some of the symptoms that people would experience signs and symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction, um, yeah. could just be the yeah. most common, but yeah, 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 yeah for sure. <laughs> so I think there are very serious pain issues related to some pelvic floor issues. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles when it's not working that well. The first symptom many people experience is incontinence and it could be urinary incontinence mm -hmm. or fecal incontinence and that could be male or female. Um, pelvic pain, pain during sex. For men it tends to be erectile dysfunction. Um, so, you know, there's a whole, I, I, and I, I work more with women. So with women, um, a prolapse is a major issue. A prolapse is when one of the organs, so it could be the bladder or the uterus or the rectum, starts to actually descend out of the body because it's no longer being supported well by the tissues of mm -hmm. the, the like lower abdomen and pelvic floor. 
so that tends to be the most serious um, expression of pelvic floor problems. So essentially what's happening is, you know, your, your, your floor isn't working very well. But where it gets really interesting, and, and you brought this up earlier, is, you know, breathing, your pelvic floor really is the bottom of a, a pressurized canister in your body. And you want that canister to be stable so that you don't flop around. And it's a little bit of a an unfortunate analogy, but if you imagine having a soccer ball that's half deflated, that soccer ball is never going to hold up as well as a fully inflated soccer ball. There needs to be some amount of pressure and um, mm. uh, integrity to your core. So if you were to lift your leg up and that rocks your whole body sideways, you're, you don't have good core stability. Many of us, and it, it's, this isn't about core strength, this isn't about your sit-ups, this is not about your six-pack muscles, this is about your ability to maintain integrity so that you're not flopping around when you move. So you could, it's, it's super crazy, but there have been studies that have, have found this, that um, you know anything in your torso area could be involved in stabilizing if your pelvic floor isn't working well. And Julie Weeb talks about this one study where people were having rotator cuff issues in their shoulder because their shoulders were compensating for a poorly coordinated core and pelvic floor system. Mm. So it's really fascinating because, you know, this is another of those like, holy crap, kind of everything is connected moments because something has to stabilize. Your body's going to find a way to stabilize. It might be your jaw. You often see pelvic floor and jaw stuff going together because your jaw is a stabilizer mm. as well. So you might not even realize that a very distant symptom is related to your pelvic floor stuff because you might not even have an obviously pelvic floor related issue. Low back pain, diastasis recti, so separation of the abdominals, hip pain, SI joint pain, all of those you want to probably be thinking, you know, is your pelvic floor involved in this? And because it's very systemic, you know, you it may not be your four pelvic floor, but any of your pelvic floor muscles that are involved, it might be the system as a whole, but related to your pelvic sure. floor, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so it's, it's another one of those things. It's like a pain anywhere in the body is a sign of, is probably, unless it's like an acute injury, it's probably a sign of more global dysfunction of your musculoskeletal system. And there's probably going to be an element of pelvic floor. There's probably going to be an element of feet um hips you know even you could go even deeper into visual and vestibular and i i guess my thought is that most of it and i know you're probably in agreement with this based on the work of katie bowman most of it is be just just because we're not being exposed to the natural movements and loads that our bodies and our genes expect us to be exposed to and so um that just sort of naturally breeds dysfunction because yeah. 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 The, the, the loads the are important thing, for the muscle, for the, totally. for the system to work well. If you think of the whole thing as, as us experiencing a nutritional deficiency, but it's a movement nutrition mm. deficiency, it becomes a lot more obvious. You're like, you know, you're crumbling, not because you, you know, have a bad knee, you're, you're not working well because you've never been fed the movement that your body was supposed to get. And what's amazing is like you said, we are a, a self-organizing healing system. So very little movement can start to create changes very quickly once you start to, to get the right stuff. We just did a, um, well, like the squat challenge I mentioned, and it was really a bit of an experiment. I wasn't sure what to expect. So we, we had people do one gentle modified squat prep exercise a day for a week, um, and then we changed the exercise every week for a month. And the changes have been astounding, just from doing one hip flexion focused exercise a day. 
um, bringing them into mobility they might not have had before. Like it's it's truly stunning the changes people have had after one month. So that's the wonderful thing about it. It's so complicated, but if you do a little bit of it regularly, you get amazing changes easily. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it is really amazing what the it's. Because in that sense, what you've just done is like uh, maybe a nutritional, because I love that analogy of nutrition and I'm forever grateful to Katie Bowman for putting that on my radar. Um, but it's like someone with scurvy and you've given them vitamin C basically, or it's like, you know, you're, you're, ex you're experiencing the like starvation of some kind and you're just giving some food and it's like, oh, my body feels better. And it's, you don't necessarily, even any kind of food is going to be good to a degree, as long as it's, you know, within your tolerance. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's really amazing. And so, is there any tips? Obviously, we were just touching on breathing and how the breathing will affect the pressure and the integrity of the, um, I guess, the core system or that canister you were talking about. So, what kind of tips for breathing would you have for, you know, whether it's pelvic floor health or just whole body health? Okay. Breathing is another can of worms, as I'm sure yeah. you're very well aware. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah, you can, you can, you can go basic. Yeah. I'll, I'll go very basic. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how you just brought up the pain science and how our body pain is not clearly or necessarily related to our posture and our positioning. And that's been a very interesting debate to watch because I think at mm. the same time, it, it, there's no obvious one-on-one -on -one connection, but it's also clear that we adapt to our environment and that that has an impact on us. And our shapes have an impact. It just might not be an obvious impact. So a place where you really start to see an impact of shape is breathing. And one of the more common, um, I guess positional variations many of us have found ourselves in is what I would call a rib thrust or a lifted up rib cage. This is our good posture. This is something that many of us have been taught to do. And um, what this is, is not a beautiful mobile spine. What it is, is the middle of our spine over rotating to lift our rib cage up to make us look awesome. Um, but the result of doing that is that it really pushes our abdominal muscles into a poor association with one another. It moves the attachments at the front of the belly up. And so suddenly with our rib cage lifted, our breathing mechanics can no longer be uh, optimal. So what we really want in breathing, and I don't like the word diaphragmatic breathing because I think that all breathing uses our diaphragm. Mm -hmm. But we want something where, you know, our, our, our ribs are mobile for a reason, just like our feet are mobile for a reason. Our ribs should move as we breathe. And where we have an unmoving rib cage, you're going to find a lot of breath going up into our shoulders or down into our bellies. And what we, I think, want most optimally is this 360 degree ribs open as we breathe. The pressure changes because we open our ribs, not because we're pushing pressure down or putting, pushing pressure up. So high level breathing, we want our ribs to be very involved with that. That 360 expansion is happening around our lowest ribs where our diaphragm is. So I guess you could call that diaphragmatic breathing, but it's not just a big belly breath. It's more specific than that and it needs more rib mobility than that. So to get back to this sort of quick and dirty, I always wish I did this stuff in an exercise studio. If we're going around with this yeah. kind of a rib cage position, not only does this typically not feel that great for your low back over time, but it's making it impossible to breathe in a beautiful 360 
360 degree breath, which tends to then pressure the pelvic floor, which tends to then be the, the top-down issue with pelvic floor stuff. So with our pelvic floor, the pressure of how we use our upper bodies and especially our breathing has a big, big impact just as our lower body mobility and movement patterns have a big impact from the bottom up. Does that make sense? Mm. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health. But if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual, packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, the five Fs for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step -step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Definitely. Yeah, so yeah, the 360 breathing, I think is one of the key things that I found. And that, I used to be a ma major rib thruster. Um, and it's something that you don't really even realize. You just sort of think you're bringing your shoulders back into, you know, quote unquote, good posture. And once it got pointed out, I was like, oh, it took, took a while to retrain, but now it sort of just comes very naturally. And I, but I now see it in a lot of, in people all the time. And it's like, it's very common. Um, so I like that sort of bottom up, top down approach, you know, making sure that, all of it is catered for. And I think it's interesting because pretty much what we get taught at uni, and this is from my memory of however long ago, six years ago, uh, was Kegels. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty interested to talk about Kegels because you've just described this very holistic whole body approach to pelvic floor health. And I think what most people are familiar with when it comes to the pelvic floor is Kegels. Kegels. So let's talk about Kegels. Let's talk about Kegels. First of all, let's define Kegels because I know some people aren't familiar with them. So a Kegel is a typically thought to be just a pure squeeze contraction of the pelvic floor. So it's like if you were going to the bathroom and you wanted to stop going to the bathroom, you'd squeeze everything and you'd stop peeing. Um, so that that's one way to think of as a Kegel. That's the way most people learn them. I think a true Kegel, if it's taught properly by a physiotherapist, you are learning a squeeze and a relax because you shouldn't just practice squeezing your stuff. That's never helpful. Never just squeeze. You always have to learn to let go too. Yeah. With our pelvic floors, like feet, I, I suppose like you'd have a pronated foot or a supinated foot. You can have a, a too weak and lengthened pelvic floor, but it's, it's maybe more common to have a too tight and held tight pelvic floor. So one of the challenges with Kegels, and there you go right back to shoes because shoes are pushing your pelvis forward, your, your pelvic floor muscles are kind of stuck short. Pelvic floors also respond to anxiety and goodness knows things have been anxious in the world over the last little while. Pelvic floor muscles 
are taught to hold tight because of kegels. People are practicing squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. So you can have a pelvic floor muscle issue because your pelvic floor muscle doesn't know how to let go and doesn't know how to produce force when it's longer. And so as soon as you create force on it, it fails because it can't lengthen and still do its job. So the kegel as a squeezing only exercise isn't particularly reflective of the way our pelvic floors function in real life, which is a, a problem right there. Sure. And so do you, would you, do you still include Kegels in your program? Do you um, give them? Do you ever recommend them? Do you recommend them as, as, you know, I've seen things like Kegels and reverse Kegels where you're actually training the relaxation or training like the, the opposite movement. So how, what's your approach there? So the way I set up the program was I went upper body first specifically because I thought that it made more sense to stop overloading your pelvic floor before you should start strengthening your pelvic floor. So I really start with spinal mobility, core function, breathing mechanics, um, lots of shoulder stuff too because all of those things play into how you're creating pressure in your core. So I go through all of that before I teach pelvic floor contraction and that's just because it, you know, when you're working on contracting a pelvic floor, there's there's so many layers to that. And it's, it's almost, it's not the least piece of the puzzle. I think that one of the things we see in here, again, it's there's an echo of feet here. You know, to the same extent that people don't know how to necessarily lift up their big toe on their own, if I ask someone to contract their pelvic floor nine times out of 10, they're really good at doing a big posterior contraction. Most people are really good at contracting the anal muscles and have a much harder time with the front of the pelvic floor. So there's even some subtlety to how you connect to or even feel the mm -hmm. pelvic floor. So I'm teaching it later on. One thing that I think of as, as challenging as a teacher, and I, maybe you can tell me what you've found, it, it's, you, again, you touched on this earlier. Our bodies, I believe, are reflexive, and intelligent systems that can figure out how to how to do what they're supposed to do better than we can tell them how to do what they're supposed to do. You know, I, I couldn't tell my hand how to catch a ball. I could never do that, but my brain can figure that out because my brain's really good at moving. And the same thing happens with our core and with our pelvic floor and with our walking. You know, I can give you 10 tips on how to walk better, but the best way to walk better is to build your capacity and let, then let your body take over. At least that's my belief. I think you're going to get a more optimal result. We tend to look like robots if we tell ourselves how to walk, right? And I think we see the same thing with core contraction. So if you're being asked to brace your core all the time, then you've created a layer of dysfunction because is your core supposed to be braced all the time? Of course not. Like your core should change how it's responding depending on whether you're sitting there talking to me or whether you're picking up your baby or whether you're climbing a tree. Like your core has a really complicated job to do. So I don't want you to brace your core all the time, but I do want you to spend some time learning how to strengthen your core so that it can stabilize in a, in a quiet and focused environment so that you can export that to your daily activities. And I think that's the same thing is true of the pelvic floor. So I think that doing some awareness and breathing and contraction work of your pelvic floor so you can feel it. And so that if you're someone who has a pelvic floor issue where some additional stabilization of your pelvic floor could help so that you're not worsening a prolapse, then yes, absolutely, you can pre-brace. And it's nice because it's, I mean, if you learn to breathe, um, 
in a way that stabilizes your core and your pelvic floor, you can really just do an exhale, feel your muscles turn on, then go and do your activity and, and you know, be, that's, it's a type of brace, mm -hmm. but it's not a brace you necessarily have to do forever or all the time or constantly during your activity. So it's a very long-winded way of saying, yes, I do teach some pelvic floor blow before you go kind of contraction, but my hope is that for all of us that our pelvic floors will just learn to do their thing naturally and we are not going to have to override that all the time. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, for sure. Something that reminded me or something that triggered in my brain was when people get on a beam, obviously I always think about beams and soulmates and, you know, they basically if you challenge their balance, the more sort of tight and rigid and the more they hold their breath, the less able they're able to, the less able they are to maintain balance on that beam dynamically they sort of just muscle it and everything's tight and then um, you just sort of tell them to, to take a deep breath like a nice easy exhale and relax and just let the body sort of figure it out and it might, it might take a few goes but that ends up being way more successful it's sort of like it's reactive stability it's not sort of um, you know contracted stability it's just allowing the body to move in a direction and then uh, correct and then move in the other direction and correct rather than trying to avoid all of that movement um, with just just stabilizing like that so i think i think that makes a lot of sense where you know build build some awareness um, but working on this more integrated and holistic approach should allow you to not have to consciously always consciously think about tightening or strengthening one sort of one particular area yeah, I think that's the goal. I, I really think, you know, there's there's a lot of value in, you know, I, I love the idea that we're dynamic complex systems. And it's been interesting on my Instagram this week because I was posting a few kind of get down and up from the floor movements. And a few people were like, oh, well, that's great, except that I've got arthritis in my hands, so I can't do that one. Or I've got bad knees, so I can't do that one. What we see is our bodies are these beautiful complex systems and then we get an injury in one spot and then that prevents us from using our bodies as these dynamic complex systems and so we try to go and solve that particular problem mm. or we let that problem stop us from doing a whole bunch of other things. So I think it's very very helpful to work back and forth from these big picture movements to these smaller ones, from isolated to integrated and there's a time and a place for all of those things. But I think for many, many people, it's most helpful to learn how to isolate because that's something that's a skill that many of us don't have. Learn how to isolate, learn how to be aware, and then go out and practice something integrated and let your body then do that beautiful fluid movement. And you know, you can see what the way you are on a beam, like you know, you have such fluidity on there and you have to be because otherwise you'd fall over. So your body's just doing yeah. it for you because you spend a lot of time on it and having fun and letting your body learn how to respond there, which is really interesting. Yeah, and I, I find, there's positions I get onto the in get on when I'm sort of flowing on the beam that I register as a well if I hadn't done all of this thoracic mobility work I wouldn't have made that save on the beam or if I hadn't done you know all this hamstring flexibility work or knee strengthening work there's no way I would have saved that and so the beam and I'm not not meaning to turn this into an ad for a beam um, but just ba balance training I think can be like a really good screen for you know how well is your whole body integrating and so someone could someone could test out their balance and like okay this is how i performed in in whatever it is whether it's on a beam or a soulmate or just on flat ground or a rolled up towel they test it out i i like 
for people to make it, you know, task-based and play-based rather than just standing still, like, you know, do a balance with a reach or do a balance with some kind of throw catch, something to make it a bit more um, interesting, but also to challenge the system a little bit more. They can record their performance on that and then they can go and isolate different areas. They might work on thoracic mobility, they might work on breathing, they might work on pelvic floor um, or you know, some, some aspect of foot function and then they can come back to that sort of more playful, explorative screen with balance and go, oh, I can feel the difference there, I performed much better. And so it's that sort of, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just working on isolation until finally I'm ready to integrate. It's like, how's my body integrating? Okay, where could I isolate and improve? And then let's test that out. Oh, that's working better. Okay, now where is my priority? Okay, let's isolate this. And it's sort of a, a constant, um, I think it's a constant process. Like no one's ever fully done. I've, I've still got heaps of sort of work to do on my body. Um, but when you, when you have a playful outlet uh, to, to, uh, to give that meaning. Um, and obviously, obviously you want to, if you've got some kind of pain or dysfunction that is causing you problems, then obviously that is meaningful, but then taking that further and being like, okay, now what do I want to do with my body? And it just, you know, it makes that journey a lot more, uh, satisfying, I think, and purposeful. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's very layered too, you know, it's, it's, you know, in my own journey, my foot stuff has been a, a big thing for a long time. I had a very serious sprain on my left foot when I was 14. And I think I've sort of run into it this year. So and you peel away layers and you get big progress. And then suddenly you're like, oh, now I've got a thing I've got to deal with again. And what's been most interesting about what's happened with my left foot this year is my balance has really taken a step backwards. And so it's super interesting seeing my left sided stability or lack of stability. It's like, oh, wow, it's really obviously changed. And it's just starting to turn the corner again feel better um so it's just been a fascinating thing because all of a sudden i'm like oh wow i was so good at balancing on one foot and now i'm not and you know you can use these markers as these really good assessments and be like oh yeah you know there's mm. it's not okay to not have good balance in your foot so it's it's fascinating stuff yeah yeah and it's like a very a very simple screen like i'm a huge fan of you know balance um getting up and down off the ground and squatting like all of these are really good screens of just how your whole body is integrating they're very simple um very obvious you can sort of feel it you can obviously you know time your balance you can video yourself and yeah it's just a really cool way to get get feedback about how the work you're doing is affecting your ability to sort of function yeah um so with, obviously you mentioned a bunch of the different symptoms um, and, you know, I guess signs of pelvic floor dysfunction. And I think most people probably haven't experienced a holistic pro approach like this. And I'm sure a lot of people have come to your program who have tried other things for their pelvic floor. So what, and I know the program's been going on for a while, at least some months now. What kind of results um, are you sort of seeing with, with people so far? Uh, it's, you know what, Jim, it's so cool. It's just so amazing to see the people who do the work get crazy, amazing results. It's awesome. I have one of my, one of my testers, um, is in her seventies and she, she joined as a beta tester. She was like, please let me in. And 
not only have her symptoms of prolapse almost disappeared, but she had bad knees and now she's able to squat every day. Like it's just, it's so cool because that's, that's the point. Like that's what we're talking about, right? You work on your pelvic floor and suddenly you're squatting and you're jumping around. Like this woman has had this, this night and day turnaround in terms of her, her capacities and her abilities. Uh, it's, it's so many different steps forward. Uh, people are noticing changes in terms of their spinal mobility. So we got one story from a beta tester. She said that people have been asking her if she's been losing weight because she's so much straighter when she stands. So wow. it, it's super cool. She's like, I haven't lost any weight at all. I'm just not hunched forward. <laughs> so because, you know, because one of the, the challenges of this, this ribs up, we do that a lot of the time to hide a lot of what's called hyperkyphosis, a sticky upper spine. So you're also, you know, a big proponent of spinal mobility. I love spinal mobility because it's so integral. Spinal mobility is integral to how you breathe, it's integral to how your core functions, and that makes it integral to your pelvic floor, but also your spine. Like you need to have good spinal mobility. So it's really interesting that, you know, the result that we wanted to get by lifting up our ribcage, which was to look like we had good posture and to look like we're upright, vertical human beings, you can get there by truly mobilizing your spine instead of by mm faking it with this rib rotation and i too as a big giant rib lifter i was very proud of my excellent posture so i uh, <laughs> yeah. i had that exact experience myself so what we're seeing and we're having uh, lower amounts of pelvic pain less incontinence more spinal mobility which is leading to more upright posture um, we're having easier breathing it's just it's super cool hearing the comments come in so it's a big program it opened in mid-July, which means that most of the people who are in it right now are only maybe a third to half of the way through. But the cool thing is they're seeing okay. changes already. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. is it a, is it a six month program? Can you say that again? My internet decided to take this just moment. Just cut out. To, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask, is it, is it a six month program? Oh, it's a, it's a do it for as long as you need to do it program. Oh, I set okay. it up yeah, for yeah, 24 yeah. weeks. So it's actually, a, you know what, I never like to make my life easy. So it's two programs in one. There's pelvic floor plus upper body and pelvic floor plus lower body. And uh, they're each four modules. And I'm suggesting that people take two to six weeks for each module. So I think that to get kind of to really get the juice out of it, I would go six week for, weeks for each module, but you're going to get benefits by even just two weeks in each module. So it's whatever eight times two is 16 weeks to 24 weeks is about what I'm recommending. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it must. Yeah. I think it's really cool. I think people are very used to, you know, like if you've got this symptom, here's the pill or if you, here's this pill for that symptom, or if you've got pelvic floor thing, here's your Kegels. Um, and you know, it's, it's very oversimplified, a very oversimplified approach and often not truly, addressing the root cause and um, I think when people take that leap and actually address this holistic integrative um, approach to their body then I'm sure that there's people that are being blown away and like you said you know they're, they're helping the pelvic floor issues but now they can squat better they've got less knee pain they've probably there's probably people who are getting less foot pain because they to fix their pelvic floor they're addressing all of those things at the same time so I think that's just that's really powerful and and it's funny you could probably uh, you could just 
rinse and repeat, you could say shoulder pain, and then you just have to address the whole body. You could say neck pain, whole body. Just do everything. Pain, whole body. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I will. I will confess that I truly made it to be a, a movement foundations course. I've been wanting to make. You know, this is yeah, what right. you need to start out your whole movement. But I did it with a pelvic floor focus partly because pelvic floor issues are so top of mind for so many people, mm. but also because again, like feet, they're ground zero. You know, you have to, you're gonna see problems show up in your pelvic floor. So I figured I could teach a foundations of better movement program around the pelvic floor and also help people with shoulder stuff and spinal mobility and core and all the things. So yeah. you found me out now. Make, it makes a lot of sense because people, you, you kind of need to, People need a reason to do something like that, I think. I think it's a lot harder to say, hey, come and do this 24 weeks of movement foundations. Like, whoa, but it's like, here, come and, come and actually fix your pelvic floor issue. Yeah. Um, and this is how you do it, by learning how to move in general. Um, it's sneaky, but it, it, I like it and, it and it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's sneaky. sneaky. It's sneaky in a good way. Sneaky. <laughs> It's like yeah. hiding yeah. hiding the veggies. In, it's like hiding the veggies in with your um, stew or whatever it is, like the the bolognese. Um, <laughs> totally what I did. <laughs> yeah. It's like for us, um, we were talking about that exact same thing because in our in our events we call them play shops now, and um, a lot of it is about you know uh, either collaborating with each other or competing with each other in balance or movement tasks and. Yes, the balance and the movement is very beneficial physically, but we, we kind of feel like we're hiding the veggies of connection and, you know, eye contact and laughter and touch and all of these things within like, hey, you're just learning to move and balance. <laughs> and now, now everyone's just found me out. But there's like, there's so much benefit to that kind of thing that people don't even realize. But if we held an event that was like, come and connect and gaze into each other's eyes and all this. It's like suddenly it's a whole different event. It's like a spiritual thing. <laughs> Whereas it's like it is, it is focused on your feet and your balance and your movement, but you, you can do all these other things at the same time and it's, it, it adds a lot more to it. Of course it does. Yeah. You know, you're a hypersocial animal. Like that's literally, we're not supposed to be doing weird. It's one of the reasons physio exercises are so boring. And I do them. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm that boring person who likes my exercises, but like I get bored too. But if you can go and play and have fun with a bunch of people and get those benefits, like why would that not be a better way? Right? It's genius. It's totally yeah, genius. Absolutely. Yeah. And is, is that actually, um, reminds me, I was going to ask if there's like a community element to your program as well, where, cause I, I know a lot of people, um, they get, they get given exercises by a physio and maybe yes, they're accountable to the physio, but they don't necessarily have a group of people around them that are doing the same thing or can, you know, encourage them or support them along the way. Is that, is that part of what you do as well? Yeah, I do my best to offer that. I, I offer uh, a Facebook community for my students and I oh, yeah. use Facebook because most people are on there. And I'm also very available to answer questions and coach. So I think that one of the things that I'm always disappointed in is if I buy an online program and I'm not sure what to do, often people don't actually support their programs by answering questions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always there to answer yeah. questions for my students. And what's been interesting is that people have been saying that they find the discussion part of the, you know, the, the discussions that go with the lessons really helpful. So that's pretty cool. Sure. And what I like about online programs as opposed to, you know, seeing a physio for exercises is because you have the recordings, you can go back and you can see how to do the exercise. Because I know when you get a physio exercise, sometimes you're like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. 
So what I actually did with this program, uh, which is a new structure for me, was I taught each exercise in detail in its own class, and then I mixed them all up together into flow classes. So you can do it exercise by exercise, learn the exercises and just do the exercises on your own, or you can follow the flows, but either way, you've got a few reference points for learning the exercises, because I thought that would be more helpful and a little bit more um, flexible for different people and the way that people like to work. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into it and, and I know from personal experience how tough it is to build out like a, a big program like that and ours, and ours isn't even sort of as in-depth as yours by the sound of it. So I'm, I'm just going to say kudos to you and like um, obviously it's a big problem and I think similarly to feet, it's a problem that doesn't really get talked about enough and I, I think you mentioned that at the start but it's maybe a bit you know, there's a bit of shame wrapped in around it, a little bit of, you know, fear about talking about, um, you know, feet or pelvic floor stuff. Um, so I think, you know, I think even just the fact that it is an online program and, other, and the people who are doing it know that there's other people doing it and they can see people discussing things and they can see, you know, any testimonials if that, once that does come. Having that sort of proof of concept um, so that, it actually helps people believe, oh, okay, this is possible. Other people are doing it and, you know, it makes sense. And it, that all of that, I think, has a big impact on the outcome um, and, like, just the sustainability of, of the change that they're trying to make. Yeah. Well, I think it gets right back into that whole Katie Bowman conversation is that our culture has taken movement out of our conversation and normalizing movement and normalizing movement as part of our daily life, but also normalizing the physical conditions that we have because we're not moving well is part of what I think we're here to do right now, right? You know, it's it's not okay to have plantar fasciitis and it's not okay to pee when you sneeze and you can't solve it if you're trying to hide that that's happening. You know, that's not a good place to be. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's important to talk yeah. about. Definitely. Cool. Well, thank you for coming back on and, and talking through all of that. Like, I actually got a lot out of that myself, and I know a lot of people listening will as well. So, um, first, you can leave, some, leave the audience with uh, some kind of tidbit if you want. Otherwise, where, where should people sort of go to find more and connect with you? For sure. Well, I would say actually, you know, given the conversation we had about breathing, I made a, a free giveaway to go with Pelvic Floor Plus called Ribcage Magic, yeah. which is a little free yeah. five-part video series that's going to help them drop their ribs down and instantly get better breathing and connected and better spine and better cores. It's That's one of those like just a power, it's just like getting your hips back over mm -hmm. your heels. So getting your ribs down, so powerful. So that's what I would recommend that people try out. It's super easy and super powerful. So that's a great thing to do. And a tidbit in terms of like a good tip, is that <laughs> what you're thinking of there? Only if there's something you want to leave the audience with as like your as like your final wrap up. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of pressure. That's, that's a big pressure. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you don't you don't have to Pr pretend I didn't say it. Okay. <laughs> Let's just move along. But um, yeah, no, there was lots of tidbits in there already. Um, so the rib cage magic, and would they find that on your website? 
It is on my website, but I've got a brand new website too. We just decided we'd make our lives awesome by opening a new website on Monday. So it's right there. We've got a Start Here page, which has also our free foot giveaway and ribcage magic okay. on it and more advice on kind of where to start your movement journey. Just as you know, it's overwhelming, but I think if you start with your feet or you start with your ribs, you're going to be in a good good spot. So um, yeah, and I'll give you the, the link for ribcage magic, but that's a really nice um, yeah. contained beginning point for people. Cool. We'll put it all in the show notes and I'll do a plug for your Instagram because it is awesome. You do really good content, very easy to follow. And that is at Petra Fisher Movement. Um, oh. highly, highly recommend. If you're on Instagram, you need to be following. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Petra. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can connect in person one of these days um, and even potentially we'll record a podcast in person when we do get to hang out. We have to talk about now, that because that might be happening. <laughs> ooh, Australia. That, and we're talking yes. about it. Keep, keep me in the loop. Yeah. Well, of course. Awesome. Okay. And uh, get pra get practicing your hacky sack. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst okay, everything take else care. you do. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.